you know, there's no time for messing around, you know, and, and, you know, I've settled into my calling, if you will, as a pastor and I've got an opportunity to speak into these people's lives and I've just got to say it. I've got to say what God wants me to say right now. You know, you need to. So you're really praying for boldness, you know, and, you know, but at the, at the end of the day, I think it's like anywhere, right? God's, you're trusting that God's word is going to go out and it's going to speak to those people right where they're at. You know, and and you're hoping, you know, you really, you want, because you, you do know these people, you know, really well for the most part. But I think like anywhere, people are going to let you in as much as, as they'll allow, you know. Hi, and welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. This is episode 148, and thanks for listening. This episode is an interview between uh, Nick Cady and Joe Gamez. And uh, they speak about ministry on a small island off the coast of Washington called the San Juan Island. Um, Nick asks some great questions about the dynamics of preaching in a tight-knit village community. And uh, Nick and Joe speak back and forth about the value and benefit of preaching mentorships and ways to train fellow church leaders how to preach and, and how to really set them up for success. So I know that you're going to enjoy listening in on this kind of wide-ranging conversation that was recorded back in October of 2020. I hope that this interview and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. It's Nick Cady, and I'm sitting here today with Joe Gamez. Welcome, Joe. So glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. It's awesome. It's a privilege to be here with you. So, Joe, we are in Colorado. Yep. You, you came up and visited our church in Longmont. It's just so cool. And you're here for a refresh conference. Yeah, and let's uh, put a date on it. What is today? It's October. Today's Sunday, October 11th. Yeah, today's 11th. Yeah, we got here on Wednesday, me yeah. and my wife, Anna. And with the idea of going to the refresh conference, but also just to be personally refreshed, me and her spend some time, no preaching engagements, no nothing, just receiving. Cool. And so Joe, I've known you for, I want to say like just a little over a year and I got to know you at the Expositors Collective event in San Diego, San Diego for right. the first time. And then you've been part of like the Facebook and the Instagram yeah. group. And so we've chatted and stuff and, um, you know, you're, you're kind of part of the collective. And I thought it was interesting to have you, uh, you're, you're one of the people who has come into the event as like a, a participant. And then you've transitioned in a way into like a functioning, you know, a contributing member of the collective, yeah. which is awesome. I mean, that's kind of what we want to see more and more of. Yeah. And part of it was because of my age, because I snuck in. Because when I went, I was like, guys, just so you know, I'm like 44 years old. I'm, I really want to come to the San Diego one. So I think I got snuck in. I remember that somebody <laughs> was like, hey, who's Joe Gamez? And then Riley spoke up and he's like, no, no, he's with me. And uh, he's like, he's cool. He Just let him come. And so we're like, yeah. And then uh, it's been so good. I'm so glad that you did that. I'm yeah, so glad awesome. you're part of it. So, you know, Joe, maybe you could just share with people like part of your story okay. and like how Expositors Collective came to be part of that and, and what you've gleaned from it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think part of it is too, I went to Bible college in from, I think it was 99 to 2001. Um, and so I took an IBS class there and I forgot who even taught our inductive Bible study class now looking back. Um, but you know, I've been preaching now for 15, 16 years, maybe more. I mean, I was preaching youth group in, at a, at a Calvary in Oceanside. 
Um, but I've always felt like a student. I don't think I've ever got to this point where I'm like, I've learned this and I've done that. I've always felt like even just not fully equipped because I never really had any formal training when it comes to like preaching a sermon. You know, nobody ever sat me down and says, here's how I do a Sunday morning sermon. This is what I'm looking for. I never had that. Um, and so I think, you know, with the expositors, it's something that, you know, I think even before that you would have David Gudzik every now and then would preach at these like pastors conferences, whether it be in Costa Mesa or sometimes up in the Northwest, you know, Northwest, um, he would preach there in Seattle. And so I'd go and glean and just try to like take as many notes as I could to really, you know, get into this. Um, cause I don't think you ever really stop learning, you know, as a preacher and a teacher for sure. Um, and I think just to give context, you know, I've been preaching as the lead pastor of a church called Calvary San Juan on the San Juan Islands. Um, it's the very northwest corner of the continental U.S. Um, we're actually closer to Canada than than the actual mainland U.S. I mean, you can see Victoria, San Juan, uh, San, what was it called? Uh, Vancouver Island on the west side of our island, you know. Um, and so I've been preaching there for 13 years, you know, um, but still feeling like I, there's a need for me to grow and really, you know, hone. I heard one, one guy, his name's Rob Dingman once tell me that, you know, if you're not growing, you know, uh, then, then you're, then you're dying basically some of the effect. And so I've always felt that way when it comes to preaching, I feel like I, I need more to grow in for sure. Yeah. So tell us maybe a little bit of your journey. Like how did you, uh, where are you from and how'd you get up to the San Juan? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I went to, like I said, I went to Bible college at Murrieta in 99-2001 and I came out of a church called Calvary San Antonio. And, and the whole idea was I was going to go to Bible college and come back and plan a church in San Antonio. Uh, so I went and did that, went to the Bible college and uh, of course uh, met my wife there, like many of us guys who went to the Bible college, <laughs> you know, met a gal and could not leave, you know, California without her. Uh, so we went back to Texas and we were there at the church for a little bit and just had this desire in our heart to go plant a church in downtown San Antonio. Um, and at that point, you know, I'm like 26 years old. I got saved when I was like 21, you know, and just really gung-ho, like the Lord needs me to go do this great work for him in downtown San Antonio. Um, and I went and it was the furthest uh, thing that could ever be true. I mean, it was like, I mean, I guess in the world's way, I guess you could say it was a big failure. I mean, we were there for like two years at the end of it. Um, there was maybe like four or five of us. We were meeting in this VFW and oftentimes we'd go up on a Sunday morning and there'd be a bunch of beer and all kinds of stuff from like uh, a quinceanera, which is like, you know, the girl's 15 year old debut party. We'd be cleaning all that up. My wife would be doing children's ministry in a slot machine room or something. You know, I think one time she was in there with our kids trying to read them a Bible story and there's a guy comes in with a cigarette smoking and he pulls off the cover of the slot machine and just starts going down, <laughs> you know, in the middle of this while my wife's like, I think you're in tears. My wife was in tears, like trying to do children's ministry, you know, and the people we had, it was like us and this elderly couple who were just content with like, I hope it stays like this. This is so sweet. Just us four. And we're like, oh, you know, and so at the end of the two years, I'm like, I'm dying. We're on our third baby. Uh, she had to be on bed rest at the hospital. I'm like managing a Starbucks assistant manager. And like, I started drinking again in the middle of that. And I'm like, I called my pastor. I was like, look, if I don't quit this church plan, like I'm going to quit the ministry. I'm going to quit being a Christian. I don't even want to be a pastor anymore. So he was like, come home. And it was the best thing ever. It's like God needed for me to come to an end of myself. I think, you know, I just, this great work. I'm a young guy. And I realized like, no, God doesn't need me, you know? And that church plan really was about being humbled, 
totally being humbled, you know? Uh, so we went back and then just the Lord just, I think after about a year and a half of just like, we're just going to do children's ministry and I'm cool with that. I don't even need to be called Pastor Joe. I mean, the South is a real big thing as far as like titles, you know? Like everybody says, yes, sir. No, ma'am. Everybody says, Pastor Joe. Um, I just didn't care about that anymore. It's like, I don't even want to be a pastor. I'm just going to serve in children's ministry. We'll teach kids the Bible and we'll just do that. Yeah. Uh, Tim Keller has this thing that I read once. He said, you know, if God is sovereign and he loves you, then sometimes that might mean that he calls you to do things mm. uh, which are not going to succeed because mm. he loves you. Ooh. I thought that was just such a That's, yeah. paradigm shifting kind of pointing question yeah. or pointing idea. And it kind of like what you're saying, right? Like maybe it wasn't just like a fleshly thing of yours to go to downtown San Antonio. Maybe it was exactly what the Lord mm. was calling you to do. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily meant to succeed in the way that you thought, but it was yeah. a work that he was doing in you. And apparently those older people thought it was awesome too. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they thought it was awesome. And we were yeah. just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good for us. You know, looking yeah. back, it was good for us. We needed it to happen. You know that, yeah. I mean, looking back now, we realize like, yeah, that was good. That was good. So you, know? you, you end up... Moving up San to San Juan Islands. Yeah. Kind yeah, of we, like the polar opposite of San Antonio, oh, Texas. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. totally. I mean, population, culture, everything. I mean, San Antonio was like, at that time, you know, back in 2007, it was like 2.7 million or something like that people, you know. And so, you know, my wife is from Seattle area. And so we went over there one year off for 2006, the summer, just for vacation and really to pray. We were like... Let's take a road trip, you know, before school starts again. I was also teaching at the, the academy they had there, you know, and we're going to pray and just seek the Lord, really feeling a sense to go call, uh, to go plan a church or something. And so we went, we went to the island, kind of a last minute thing. Her, my in-laws were like, hey, we're going to go to the San Juan Islands. We're going to go camping. We've got some friends that have some property there. So we went, it was really cool. I mean, I, for me coming from Texas, that was huge. I mean, just, you know, the water, the mountains, you know, uh, the whales, I mean, the Douglas fir trees, you know, in San Antonio, we have tree shrubs or something, you know what I mean? So seeing all these, you know, Douglas fir tree, I mean, just gorgeous and beautiful. So we went there and it was awesome, enjoyed it and came back home and just thought like, okay, well, that was cool. I guess maybe the Lord's not sending us anywhere. So we didn't feel like the Lord answered our prayer. And so we went back and just kind of got, went back into it, went to the school and just teaching and helping out wherever we could. And then like a month later, my mother-in-law emails me and says, hey, remember that church we visited at Calvary? They're looking for a pastor. And it was one of those things, like I just knew in that moment, like that was the answer to my prayer. Like that's where God was sending us. Have not even called the pastor, didn't know anyone there. We just knew that that's where God was calling us. And so I came home to my wife, said, hey, I think the Lord is calling us to San Juan Island to go pastor that church. And she got excited. Like that was like, okay, that's a green light. My wife got excited. She's not rolling her eyes. She's not like, like bawling or anything or just like, what are you doing? You're nuts. You know, it was just like, she got excited. And then, I mean, that was October, you know, and at that time they, we called the pastor up and he was like, who are you? Like, where, how did you hear about us? I mean, he was really confused. Yeah. You're like, hi, this is Joe and yeah. I want to be your pastor. Yeah, I want to be your pastor. Can I have your job? <laughs> <laughs> and I think just kind of thinking like, okay, yeah, we'll mail you a packet. And, and then he probably figured he would never hear from me again, you know? Um, and I got this fady, uh, this 40 page uh, envelope in the mail from CCOF. It was the old CCOF, you know, like, you know, to get affiliated. And I just had like a burden, like to fill that thing out. I mean, it was just, I mean, I filled it out, sent it right back in. Um, 
And then probably like in December, you know, the, the principal of the school comes into my classroom and he's like, hey, there's a guy from an island wants to talk to you on the phone. And I'm like, oh, that's the church, you know? And so I went and we had a conference call with the elders. And then, you know, January, they flew me and my wife up there. I think you, we were pregnant with baby number four. Yeah, baby number four. Um, four of seven children that we now have, you know, presently. And um, we just knew, we went up there, we preached a Sunday morning and it was like a snowstorm. It was like two feet of snow, you know, coming, coming from Texas, you know, and none of that deterred us. You know, we, we just like, this is where God has called us. And so we went back, told my pastor and he was like, you should go now then. You should just, you know, there's no point in waiting. I mean, that was like August when they're looking for pastor. It's February now. I mean, January now, you need to go. And so February, 2007, we packed up our little minivan and drove up to San Juan Island, Washington. And wow. I've been there ever since. So 13 years now preaching yeah. in San Juan Islands now. So that's a small population, like yeah. you said. Like 12,000 maybe year round. Right. So, I mean, do you, do you see a lot of the same people? Like, you know people? Oh, yeah. Like, now we know everybody. Yeah. I mean, even, even that when we sent up the packet, they lost our packet. So I called the post office. Um, and at the time now, a guy who's a part of our church now, you know, they're like, Ron, have you found some packet from Texas? And I'm like, this is the post office. Like, what's <laughs> going on there? Oh, yeah, it's sitting on this shelf. Yeah, we'll get it over to Steve, who was the pastor in... And I was like, dude, where are we moving to? This is yeah. nuts. Like the post office. There's no like, please hold the line and wait yeah. for this, you know, listen to this music while you wait. It was none of that. It was yeah. like weird, wow. you know? And so, yeah, we went and I think everybody, we got there and everybody talked to us like two inches away from our face. <laughs> you know, it was just really culture shock. I mean, yeah. talk about culture shock, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, 13 years later, I mean, if you were to go into town with me, it would be like, I'm Mr. Popularity. And it's not that. You yeah. just get to know everybody. You, yeah. I know people at the grocery store, at the hardware store, you know, Friday Night Lights is a big deal. You know, all these, you know, People go to the football games on Friday nights. Everybody knows everybody. I mean, we've got families in our church that have been there like seven or eighth generations. You wow. know? Like they've lived on the island. They're a seventh generation islander. Wow. You know, it's crazy. So how does that affect the way that you preach? I mean, does it affect how you preach to people with well, that familiarity? Yeah, it really, I think preaching and even like, you know, church discipline, if that's still a thing, <laughs> you know, uh, you really think twice about what you're going to say. You know, because maybe in some of these bigger cities, you know, you know, you might get visitors, you might not see, ever see them again, or maybe you're preaching in a big church. The church we came from at the time was like a thousand people, and you can say things, and it's kind of just blanketed out there, so to speak. You're scattering seed. Here, it's like you're saying things, and there's people that you know. I can imagine they're like, "That's me." He's talking about. You know, what I mean, it's so tight in that way. You know, so it definitely gives you a boldness and a little bit more of a clarity of what you're preaching and how you're applying the text for sure. For sure. I would think some people might actually say the opposite. They might say, well, because I know people, mm. I feel hesitant to mm. call them out because yeah. I'm going to see them at the hardware store. I'm going to see them yeah. at this place. And I need to be worried about what these people think about me because my reputation matters in a small town. Yeah. But you're saying just the opposite. Yeah. Well, cause definitely now, um, you're realizing, especially in this time right now, I think one of the, the speakers at the conference we were just went to said crisis brings clarity. Right. And I just think that's such a good thing, even for our Island. It's like, you know, there's no time for messing around, you know, and, and, you know, I've settled into my calling as, as if you will, as a pastor and I've got an opportunity to speak into these people's lives and I've just got to say it. I've got to say what God wants me to say right now. You know, you need to. So you're really praying for boldness, you know, and 
Yeah, I, but at the, at the end of the day, I think it's like anywhere, right? God's, you're trusting that God's word is going to go out and it's going to speak to those people right where they're at, you know, and, and you're hoping, you know, you really, you want, because you, you do know these people, you know, really well for the most part. But I think like anywhere, people are going to let you in as much as, as they'll allow, you know. So let's talk about Expositors Collective. Yeah. So you came out to San Diego and, um, and you got some things out. I mean, what, yeah. what would you say that as a recipient or a participant was kind of your biggest takeaway from Expositors? I think definitely for me is the, the structure of Expositors, right? Because, uh, I mean, I guess you could say by nature, I'm like ADHD in a way, right? Like my grandma, before it was, there was Ritalin, like she would give me a cup of coffee. As soon as I came over to the house, like grandma gave me a cup of coffee because she knew that coffee was a natural Ritalin, right? And that would chill me out and I could color for hours. <laughs> and so in that kind of way, even with my preaching and trying to form sermons, I found myself just being distracted all the time. You know, I'd go to a whiteboard, or I'd go to a yellow pad or, you know, I'd go to scratch pieces of paper, you know, and sometimes my sermons were like hit and miss. Sometimes they're good and they're awesome. And there's times when I was confused confused by what I was preaching. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're like, what am I even saying right now? My, my mouth is moving and sounds are coming out, but I don't know where I'm going with this, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so, so expositors definitely gave me like structure. It gave me a framework to, to uh, just a, a start and finish, you know, and I need that. Like over the years, some of the best things that have helped me grow is when there's structure and I can put myself into that and then just kind of own it and then grow with that. Um, you know, which has been huge for me, you know? Um, and so Expositor has done that, you know, looking at what's the big idea, because that was always like, how do I attack, you know, because I think for a long time, we just kind of like took for granted that we're in Calvary, so to speak, and you just verse by verse. And I feel like a lot of times it became kind of just like, you'd say a verse, speak a little bit, say a verse, speak a little bit. But I just had a sense that there's gotta be more to it than just that and feeling inadequate, you know? Um, so this gave me some kind of like, like bones and structure to how do I look at this text? And I think sometimes I would stumble upon it, but nothing that really would stick. And so and there's a part of me that's like, well, man, it's kind of embarrassing. Cause at that time I'm like, you know, a 44 year old man, I've been preaching for at that point for almost 12 years. And I still felt like I wasn't really making the traction or really connecting in a way that I think was really hitting home for people. And, and, and probably it was because over the years, you know, I would get compliments and, and like, hey, that was a really good sermon. And, you know, that was awesome. But I think for me, this is where I was at now and where I really needed to grow that, you know, God was highlighting. So expositors definitely helped me in that, looking at the main idea and, and how do I bring that text back to Jesus, you know, and, and looking at those points and so forth. And just, you know, it was really good. I remember years ago, there was a guy in my church. He was a pastor who retired on the island. And um, he was going to start going to our church and we were just talking. And then he just kind of said this thing like, well, yeah, I've heard of Calvary. You guys think you're expositors, but you're really not. You just kind of blab and, and just, you know, you'll say a verse and you go, but that's not. And I just got so offended by that. I was like, man, what a jerk. You know, that's, that's what I thought. I was like, what a jerk. Um, and the sad part is I think he missed out on an opportunity because in, in some ways, at least for me, I think he was kind of correct. Not all calories, okay, don't, I don't want to blanket, but you know, we get into that, maybe there's a laziness, I don't know, if just you read a verse and then you just kind of say something, you know, but I think there's, like I said, there's more to it than that. And I got offended by that. But then when I saw expositors and, and really started to learn what, what true expository preaching is, 
it like opened a whole new world for me. And, and I think back to that guy, I'm like, man, if he had just said it with just a little bit more humility, I probably would have like asked the guy for some help. We're like, what do you mean? But he was just so like rough around the edges, so to speak. Oh, you know? wow. That's, that's a pretty interesting story. Like kind of a good takeaway for probably a lot of us and how we talk mm. to other people, you know, and how we bring critiques. But um, let's talk about that in a way that's a good transition to talking about like mentorship. I yeah. mean, mentorship's a big part of what we do yeah. at Expositors. And um, talk to me about that. How is that? been for you with Exposers yeah. Collective or even, you know, in other ways? Well, yeah, it's huge, right? Because at, at that time, you know, I already have a couple of lay pastors who were, who were, you know, they were pastors and they're ministering to the church body. But one of the things that I really connected for me was that whenever I was gone, you know, they would preach for me, but they were having to come up with something new on their own. And these guys, you know, they're working 40, 50 hours a, a week on their own jobs and then having to come in because I'm going to be gone and create something from the ground up. You know, and, the, and I realized like, that's a lot of work. And the other part, it was like, well, this is my series. You know, I'm teaching through Matthew. It needs to be me that does it. And so, you know, I'm going to be gone. So you guys, you know, kind of hold off on that because I'm doing this series on Matthew. So then when we go to expositors, you know, the, the really cool part, which I'm looking forward to, I mean, this time of COVID, the webinars have been awesome, but, but a missing aspect or component that I think has been powerful about expositors is being able to have that time where we get a verse that's assigned to us. We go to our hotel rooms and we put together a sermon, come together and then have that time of like critique and to help one another and really, you know, go through the actual process of like coming up with the main idea and the points and so forth. And when I saw that, I just, it just kind of really like hit me like, man, I need to do that with my pastors, you know, and bring them as a part of the process, you know? And so when I got back immediately, I was like, guys, we're changing things, you know? So every Monday we started meeting and, and we're going to together come up with the main idea of these 10 or even like 20 verses. I mean, expositors just, you know, you know, really looking at the text, you know, going through it expositionally really opens up, you know, no longer, cause I would always do like four or five verses at a time and you take five years to go through Matthew. Whereas you kind of, in, ex, in expository preaching, you really get to look at the big picture and see how the themes all flow together. And there's like this whole other message that's that's going along with the narrative that I just didn't catch before because you're looking so my, you know, microscopically at these three or four verses, you know. And so I brought them in and it's like, hey, let's look at these 20 verses and let's look at the big idea. Let's look at the main theme. And so they became a part of my process. Like I started to go do my own homework and come up with my own points and everything. And so then what happened was whenever I was gone now, rather than saying, hey, don't touch Matthew, that's my book. It was like, okay, I'm going to be gone. So you're just picking up right where I left off. And we're, we're on this road together. And so they've already feel they can, they're a part of, of where we're going in the text and how the Lord is speaking to the fellowship. And so all that hard work is done already. You know, they come up with a theme, they'll preach it, you know, and then I'll listen to the sermon or I'll watch it if I'm off somewhere, you know, and then I'll critique them. And I took that from expositors and it, dude, it was awesome. It became such a thing, but, but a byproduct, especially applying that model in the local church is that these guys started really owning, not just the preaching, but all of a sudden, like even as pastors, they really started taking a vested interest in like the people and ministering to the people. It just became, you know, and then the people could see, truly see, I think in a good way that it wasn't just about me. Like it wasn't just about Pastor Joe. Like there's other guys here who can preach and teach, you know, and it gave them a connection to the people in our body as well. And so that's been awesome. I mean, that was a huge thing for us, you know? Yeah. So a few years ago, this is, you know, prior to Expositors Collective. There's a guy in our church and, um, you know, and he actually had 
had gone to seminary. Mm. Now, and I said, oh yeah, you know, this guy, surely he'll be a great preacher, right? Yeah. So I was gone one week and I asked him to preach and I listened to it afterwards and it was just so bad. <laughs> like it wow. was really bad. Mm. And, um, and other people told me like, that was really bad. Don't let that guy preach again. <laughs> and that's what I said. Whoa. I said to somebody on our staff, I said, I'm never letting that guy preach again. Wow. And this guy on our staff, wow. to his credit, right, mm. our administrator, he goes, well, how'd you expect him to succeed if you never taught him how to do it? Ooh. And I'm like, ouch. Yep, that's correct. And I don't have an answer because <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And I was like, well great point yeah you know and then you know here's the other thing that happened with that is that i next time i i did give the guy another chance and he did better by the way yeah. but i said okay now we're gonna get together and we're gonna talk about the message mm-hmm. and like prepare a little bit together yeah now but this guy now he he kind of took offense at that because mm. he he took it as you didn't like what i did before so and you now gotta- you're gonna like show me how it's done Ooh. and you want me to do this and it didn't come across very well at all oh that's a bummer and um, yeah and and then I realized that the whole way we were going about it was not mm. useful because you know this guy gets the chance to preach once every yeah. year two yeah, exactly. years you can't, I mean, it's hard to be sure. good at this this is something you develop over yeah. time right there's a lot of skills involved mm-hmm. and so then I give him the chance. Then I, you know, basically didn't like what he did. So I don't give him any more chance. Or mm. if I do, then it comes across really like, like it's implied yeah. that I didn't like what he did yeah, and that, or that I don't think he's good at it. And so rather than going that model, what's happened over the last couple of years that, that I've been inspired to through Exposures Collective yeah. and through some other things, which ha- we've brought into Exposures yeah. Collective has been this kind of mentorship model mm-hmm. where um, group preparation and, you know, and people do it differently. Like what you're describing is a little bit different than what I do, similar. Yeah. But the, the one common aspect is that there are people in the room with me other than yeah. me and we're working together yeah. and they, they're being brought into the process. Yeah. So it's not just like, you know, Nick goes in the room and shuts the door right. and appears like right. Moses with the sermon. Yeah, Look so at this. Good. Now they see how it how it works, right? Yeah. It's like go, going into the sausage factory and seeing yeah. how the sausage is made. And as a result of that, now I'm training multiple guys at the same time. Now I'm not really training them in, in a really direct way, like, hey, you're doing this wrong and sure. do this instead. They're seeing how I do it, all the things that I think, all the things that I implicitly do without mm. realizing what mm. I'm doing. And um, and then they pick, on, pick up on that, yeah. kind of like what you're saying with yeah. your guys. And that has just been so, um, so helpful. Yeah. And I think also... Um, helpful to those guys, like kinder to them in a way that um, rather than asking them to do something that they have no context for doing, um, giving them the tools and modeling for them how this, how this works. Yeah. And I think that's what gives them the ownership, right? When you're trusting these guys to go before the fellowship and to preach and teach God's word, right? They're naturally going to um, start, I think, caring for the body in that way, right? Because if you're trusting them from the pulpit, then of course you're going to trust them with the people because it is a big deal to have someone in, and to stand behind the pulpit. Um, but I, I don't like that. I think in some ways there's been like this thing where 
where, where, yeah, the pastor, he, like you said, he goes into, into this room and the Shekinah glory falls on him. And then he comes out and brings his word, you know, and it's just like, no, like this is my role in the body of Christ. God's called me to preach and teach. And if I expect these guys to learn it, you've got to give them an ability to be able to do it. Right. And, and then, and then it becomes real organic, the criticism, because it's like, like you said, it's not coming out of nowhere. Like, oh, you're only critiquing me because you didn't like what I brought. No, like we have this ongoing relationship. And so, you know, so before COVID hit, these guys were teaching at least once a month, if not more, because I was, you know, traveling quite a bit with missions and doing other things like that. And so it became pretty regularly. So one of them was teaching at least once a month, you know, and they would just alternate, you know. And so that's awesome because I've seen them grow. I've seen them kind of hone in. You know, both of them were going to Bible college at the time. So you before that, you could see that they were trying to bring their Bible college into to their sermons, you know, and what they're learning, which is good. But a lot of times it didn't fit the text where the text was going. And so now I've seen that kind of fall to the wayside and they're really invested in the text and really, you know, gleaning from it, you know, and it's awesome. And again, to make sure that it always comes back to Christ, right? It always falls back and points to Jesus, which has been huge, huge for us as well. And that the whole mentorship thing, you know, part of our process is that I'm inviting their yeah. input. Yeah. And, um, and I think that means a lot to them. So mm-hmm. in our group, you know, we have, uh, at least one guy who doesn't come in person right now because, mm-hmm. um, his wife is at risk and yeah, so sure. that he's staying home and watching. And yet he's still part of the group, still, uh, an active participant cause he's, you know, he's contributing things mm-hmm. that actually end up in the sermon. Yeah. Now, I don't accept everything, right? Yeah, sure. But that also kind of teaches them, okay, well, why did he, kind of implicitly, why did he take this suggestion yeah. and not that one? Well, there must be a reason, mm-hmm. things like that. So I felt that, um, that people are growing on that team. Like yeah. you said, the church benefits from yeah. that. Because it's not just like, well, this guy's just preaching because Nick's got something better to do or something, Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of, you're on their hair. And that's kind of the way I was like, you know, no, like I said, no one ever came alongside. And I see now the value of mentorship and giving the guys a real opportunity to do it. And not just every now and then, but like a consistent opportunity, you know, to do it. And the church is going to be better for it because if like, God were to call me on, let's say God were to call me on to the mission field or to plant another church. I feel like now, like the church would be in a really healthy spot. You know, if God had had called me on like a year and a half, two years ago, I feel like, you know, would these guys know how to really do that and do it well? I mean, they could do it like I did. I fumbled through it and I learned and got some mentorships, but, but why go through all that? You know, you know, and so now I feel like the church is a lot healthier as a result because that part, I never even saw that. I never saw the side benefit of what that mentorship was going to do, you know, or pouring into these guys. And like, I'm just trying to teach them to, to, you know, to, to learn how to preach the Bible because that's something that I didn't get. So these guys need to do it, never knowing that it was going to have such a greater impact on the overall body, the church health even. Yeah, that's that, huge. That's really great. Yeah, and I think the other part of this is that, you know, as an individual, you have a horizon mm-hmm. of experiences and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And by bringing somebody else in, it broadens that horizon mm-hmm. by, you know, bringing other people in, yeah. whether they're mentors or the people you're passing things on to, you know, it's helping to broaden the horizon of, yeah. of the whole church and, and those people involved. So. Yeah, that, that's been really good. So that's been a huge, I think, takeaway, you know, um, for expositors for me, for sure. And then giving back, I want to give back. I mean, to me, I just see it as, like that was poured into me, you know, and I have an opportunity to pour back because, you know, again, now I'm 45, I'm not, you know, not getting any younger. 
And so I want to give back. I want to be able to help. And especially in that area too, when I always, I always think back in my Bible college time, really just with fond memories, you know, and I just want to be able to give back, you know, to other guys. And this has done that, you know, and I've developed some mentors over the years too, that have really helped mentor me. And then it's just taught me the value of not just mentoring my guys, but just pointing to other pastors who are just getting started as well. I mean, it's such a huge thing. You know, that's like the biggest contrast between when I try to do that church plant in downtown San Antonio, I really isolated myself. Um, and we were only like 30 minutes from our sending church. You know, this time around was like, no way. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to isolate myself because I saw um, the detriment it was to my family even and my own marriage and so forth. So that's huge, having that mentorship, being a mentor and having people that you mentor as well. Okay, so let's say somebody's listening to the podcast and yeah. they're like, I want that, yeah. but I don't know how to get it. What would you tell them? I think you got to seek it. You have to seek it. And I think we've heard of that in the past, you know, the, you know, it took me a while to find a mentor that really clicked. I mean, there's some guys that I looked up to and, you know, and they're busy and they're doing the thing and I'd send an email or just try to make a contact at a conference or whatever. And, and sometimes we didn't mesh, you know, and then that fizzled out. But for me, it was like, it was important to keep pressing in. And I think it's almost like, you know, when, when and I think it's in Hebrews chapter six where God says, right, you know, you know, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? So as you're seeking Jesus and you, as you pursue, like God is going to pour into your life, right? You're going to receive from the Lord as you keep pursuing him. And I think you can kind of apply that just in relationships, right? So maybe you were as a pastor or, or, or an elder or a leader in your church that you reach out to and they kind of rejected you. Like, like try not to like, take it to heart, man. You know, people are different walks and different seasons in their life, but, but keep looking, you're going to find someone. And eventually I found someone that I connected with and, and over the years now I've developed other friendships as well. Um, but you need that, like, don't just give up, you know, if one or two ignore you, keep going, you know, and you'll find someone that you gel with, that you connect with. And it definitely needs to be somebody I think that you respect someone, I think not just a peer, right? I mean, there's definitely room for like peer groups and stuff, but definitely somebody that you respect that you look up to. And that if somebody were to critique you, that you would take it. You wouldn't be offended by it. Someone that you know that, that genuinely cares about you so that when they give you a little feedback, you know, because even in my mentors, it, it's, always, it's always been good, but ha it hasn't always felt good when I've gotten that critique, if you will. Yeah. And so you need that. We need that in our lives. Oh, that's really good. So Joe, I'm going to wrap it up and just say this. How can people get in touch with you, follow you, yeah. listen to your sermons? Um, yeah, so they could go to, I think, uh, calvarysanjuan.com. Uh, That's our church's website. Um, but we are, our sermons are on iTunes and Spotify, and you can look for it under Calvary San Juan Island. Um, and that's an important one because there's another Calvary San Juan in Capistrano. <laughs> you know, we often get confused sometimes with that. So we're Calvary San Juan Island. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, on PJ Gamas 8 on Instagram. And, and there's links to our church there as well and so forth, you know. Cool. Hey, so. Joe, thanks so much for being here and being part of the collective. Yeah, my pleasure. It's awesome. So glad to give back in this way for sure. Okay. Well, thanks very much to Joe for um, sharing about um, his life story and uh, the ways even that, uh, that this podcast and how the Expositors Collective have helped him to grow as a preacher, a teacher, and, and a leader. Uh, Nick and him uh, are both part of the Expositors Collective Facebook group. And uh, I want to say that you're invited as well. So if you uh, search on Facebook for the Expositors Collective, there's a public page and then there's a private group. Um, if you request to be added to the private group, 
Um, I will let you in. And then there we have discussions about individual episodes. Uh, people frequently ask for advice or answer discussion questions. And I want to say it's a, it's a great way to continue this, um, this conversation and that you get to participate and uh, continue growing. So you're invited to join the Expositors Collective Facebook group. And now I'm going to leave you with a clip uh, for next Tuesday's episode, a, you know, fascinating conversation with a really well-informed guy by the name of Robert Ferguson, uh, speaking about uh, the value of storytelling in the preaching experience. So I'm going to leave you with a clip and I'll see you next Tuesday for the next episode of the Expositors Collective Podcast. You know, Robert, I, I love what you're saying, and I I think that the two are um, very much, you know, to be used together. Like, um, I think that expository preaching definitely does not preclude storytelling. In fact, I think the storytelling, as you you very point, well point out, Jesus never tells, never teaches without telling a story, in every case. And and one of the things that um, that I have been learning and, and wanting to share with others, and I'm curious what you would speak into it, is this idea that, um, that we should use a plotline format in our sermons in the sense of, in the same way that every story kind of follows some basic structure, which, which maybe you could expound on a little bit, but you know, the idea that there's a, a setting or an ideal, then there's a tension. You build that tension to kind of a fever pitch and then show how the conclusion of that uh, leads us somewhere. So we start somewhere, we realize a problem that is there and, and has been there. And then we see how Jesus is the great hero in the solution to the problem and, and how each text can be uh, approached through something like that, you know, having that kind of homiletical plotline format, I think uh, is very helpful. And, and one example that a friend of mine pointed out, he said, you know, if your child ever asks you to tell, if the, your child's ever asked you to make up a bedtime story uh, on the spur of the moment, and if you've ever tried to do it, um, you know, you can do it poorly because if you just tell some facts, like there was a princess and then she did these things. Well, that's not really a story. That's just some facts about a princess, right? A story has to have a problem and a conclusion and it takes you somewhere. And then there's a new reality based on that. So um, I, I would love to hear from you about this idea and and what you think, uh, why you think it's it's so, I guess, integral to the way that people learn. Look, a brilliant question, Nick. Um, if you, if you look through literature and nature and music, what you will find is the same story arc. Uh, it's basically, you can find it in Homer's The Odyssey, home, discovery, return, or a slightly large one, home, call, discovery, goal, return. And so even if you look in nature, you can find this idea, a bird will start at home, go out on a journey of discovery and return home again. So that is a classic story arc, and you can find it in The Lion King. Simba starts at home. There's a, there's a call to become king. He goes on a journey of discovery. He reaches his goal to become king, and then he returns or the, the world is returned to the way it should be. You can see it in Star Wars. You can see it in The Lord of the Rings. It doesn't really matter 
what quest movie or book you read, you will find this story arc throughout. And so the reason that I use it is because people automatically engage with it. I make the big idea that I'm sharing the hero or the heroine of the story. And instead of following the five stages I've just suggested, home, call, discovery, goal, and return, I've changed it to S-T-O-R-Y, story. So I tell a story, I create tension, I make observations, I bring a revelation, and then I say, what are you, why, going to do about it? And so, as you say, absolutely, what I do is I do the whole, the whole of my message is a narrative, but the story at the beginning is classic storytelling, then the tension, very important for a postmodern generation, then the observation section is like a topical message, and then the revelation moment is an expository sermon, and then the you makes it fundamentally practical. So I'm actually using all the various skills of all the various books I'm preaching in one story arc. So I totally agree. It, I think, is a brilliant way of communicating.